Hey, it's Chris Jericho, and you're listening to the Blues Hockey Podcast. Go Blues! Jason, uh, no Chris this week, but we do have a special guest this week, uh, retired NHL ref and now daily, dailyfaceoff.com rules analyst, along with, uh, what is it, hot mic with Jamal Mayers and Andy Strick on 590. We have uh, Tim Peel with us today. Tim, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Jason. I appreciate it. Did you love the, did you love the, the title that we came up with for the radio show? Yeah, hot mic. It works. Yeah, well, because that's what everyone said that I got caught on was a hot mic. Yeah, and I thought, Strick, it, I thought, hey, you lean into it. You might, at this point, at this point, yeah, right? Exactly. Point. And Strick says, what do you think about calling it hot mic? I said, it's perfect. So we're tape, we're doing our first show a couple months ago, three months ago. And, uh, you know, Strick comes on and he goes, say, Tim, hey, uh, Jamal, how are you? And, you know, looking forward to this. And Jammer goes, oh, good. I'm excited and so on. And, and Strick goes, uh, Timmy, how you doing? I go, I'm, I'm not doing very good, Strick. I go, you know, and Jammer doesn't know. I, I'm going to say this. Strick knows and I'm going to say it. And I go, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. I said, I woke up at 4 a.m. I had the sweats. I had hives all over me. I said, you know, the last time I was in a mic in front of a microphone, I said, things didn't work out very well. And they started laughing. We just had fun with it. So. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. I'm having a fun time doing the show with those guys. Well, it's good. Yeah, because obviously we, the, the hot mic incident back in, uh, what's the early, was it 2020 or the 2021 at this point? 2021, yeah. Yeah, so it seems like a lot like, longer than that. It seems yeah, like a lot longer. It seems like forever ago, but it, it's actually, uh, yeah, it was March 23rd of 2021. Exactly. So obviously you've talked about that incident a couple on a couple of shows. Mm. I know with Frank Cervelli, you've talked about him on your own and on hot mic. You've talked about it as well. Um, I'll just lightly touch on because it's obviously been talked about already. Yeah, It's no, one of those no, things I... where it's one of those things where as being a hockey fan and uh, like me growing up and around hockey and you kind of watching hockey, you see that during the game, you see the, the quote unquote makeup calls. And we can kind of almost, I want to talk about that the blues played Dallas recently and obviously right. you you're you're residing in St. Louis. So obviously you've been watching the blues and you've been, you, you post about how the blues have been playing. So I'm, I'm assuming you got a chance. Did you get a chance to watch the Dallas game? I uh, did. I okay. Did. So obviously the, there's a big thing at the end of that game, obviously where yeah. the blues had a uh, first time in the franchise history, come back under a minute left, a crazy yeah, game where that's they, a crazy stat. Yeah, where they maybe didn't deserve to win that one, but they pulled it out, and that just makes kind of how this team has done this year. Um, obviously, from the angle, the I I I don't know if, who was the ref in the corner because obviously Shen was in the corner with Heiskanen. Yeah, it was uh, Corey Servette, and it's crazy as a that for fans to understand, but sometimes you can be too close to a play. And there were many times throughout my career where I was in the neutral zone and I'd see some, something happen around the net or in the corner. And even though the other ref was near to it, sometimes you've got that tunnel vision and, 
And when you're in the outside ref, everything is big like this. You know, everything is, is a wide view uh, lens and you can see more. You can kind of take your time and react to it and see what happens. And so in fairness to the ref down low, because Shannon did a really good job of, of disguising what happened, you know, he held a stick like this. And, and so if the, if the, Closest ref to, to it didn't see it, which obviously didn't. It would have been really difficult for Frederick Lacquier, the outside ref, because uh, as Shen was laying there, the outside ref would have actually been looking at the back of Shen. And, and he, he had, Shen was in between uh, the stick and, and the player. And so the outside ref wouldn't have seen that. And, so it was a bit, it was a break for the blues. And, you know, I, I said to a, a friend of mine the other day, they were complaining about the officiating in uh, the Pittsburgh game on Wednesday mm-hmm. and they didn't like the Mikula play. And, and I, you know, I defended the refs and said, you know, like it's easy to sit at home and watch that replay and go, ah, you know, yeah. got pushed in and but in, but our our officials don't have that benefit they're calling it in real time they don't have the benefit of of slow mo and looking at the replay and so he didn't like that call and i said i get it i said you know it probably could have just been left alone and not mm. have called anything on that called it incidental contact and, and so on but then i talked to him on monday and i go I go, it's so funny, I said, because you text me just losing your mind on Wednesday. I said, but Sunday, I said, I never got a text from you. I said, so I said, guess what? I said, it all evens out. Over 82 games, you're going to get some nights you feel like we're just not getting the calls. And then prime example, the Dallas game, they got the calls. They got two points. Dallas didn't even get a point in that game. Yeah. And which would have been frustrating for them. And obviously for, for bonus. And that's why he freaked out. So to, to the fans out there, it usually evens out throughout an 82 game schedule. Yeah. The blues, I know blues fans are frustrated. So obviously the blues got a benefit on the, on Heiskanen, got tripped, but then Heisken got up and also had the slash on Cairo, which was a penalty afterwards, which led to the game winning goal. So the right. Blues technically benefited twice there right. over that whole time. And you mean uh, you mean because Cairo played it with the broken stick? Yeah. Was it in your opinion, was it it was he no. in the emotion? Was he in the motion of passing yeah. and realize it? Or I, was I it think... is it more of he still was it was very quick in my opinion, but it obviously you don't know, who, but you don't know who you don't know if the player knew it was broke or not. I mean, it, he could have exactly. said, he could have said, I it, didn't know. Correct. I think if it, no, and that's a good point, Jason. Like, I think, I think if, if it was 1001, 1002, and then he's still playing with it, that's when we call it. But that there, it was slash pass. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it happened really, really quick. So I don't fault the officials at all for not calling a penalty on that. And, and uh, I, I don't think that it really influenced the play at all. So, yeah. And we'll talk because you brought the Pittsburgh one and I'll bring up this one to show how blues fans are frustrated. All something not getting called was the other, the ever evolving definition of what goalie interference is. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. So I saw your comments on your, uh, this week you're talking on uh, with Frank and, 
um, you believe that you know if it's anybody else with Sidney Crosby, that would been that would have not that would that would not been a goal. Is that what I took? No, from that? I was saying I was what I said was um, I said I I heard all everybody saying well Sidney Crosby. You know, I had text messages that night from Blues fans saying Crosby's getting preferential treatment. Mm-hmm. And I said, I completely disagree because, and it's so, it's kind of ironic and sad at the same time. Cause on Frank's show, I said, I said, I don't care if it was Sidney Crosby or Sidney Pache. Sidney mm-hmm. Pache is that longtime uh, actor. Mm-hmm. I hadn't mentioned his name, I bet you, in 20 years. And then the and next, it was the next I, day he passed next away. Yeah, I read that he passed away. I'm yeah. like, geez, that, that, yeah. <laughs> so weird. So, no, 100%. I, I knew that when okay. the Blues challenged that, I knew that they were not going to win the challenge. He was outside I, the paint, primarily. He was outside the paint. Like mm-hmm. Sidney Crosby, whether Blues fans like it or not, didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. The only reason that there were that there was contact with with Bennington there is because Bennington extended his arm, whether mm-hmm. it was to glove the puck or whatever it was, mm-hmm. and then that's when the contact was made. But ten out of ten times that game, that goal is allowed in the NHL. I thought that yeah. was an interesting challenge when I after I saw the replay before uh, when they were kind of looking at it. You know, they kind of delay the puck drop a little bit to look at it on the iPads. I was like, oh, I would let that go since it was yeah. so late in the game and you're just tied it up and momentum's going the other way, I probably would have laid off it. But uh, I guess at this point, like you said, you never know what goalie interference is. You take your shot. But I think at that time, I think he was a little, I think he was outside the crease and I think it was, it was more coincidental than anything. Yeah. And, and, but in fairness to uh, the coaching staff and Sean Farrell, who's the video coach for, uh, for the blues and, and, and is the one that, uh, you know, says, I think we should challenge this and, and so on. Um, I don't fault them at all because mm-hmm. I've coached, I've talked to a few coaches and general managers this year throughout the league. And they said that sometimes they just need to show their goaltender that they're supporting them on the ice. Cause, cause mm-hmm. Jordan was very upset at that point. Yeah. And, he jumped up right away. And I feel that if they don't challenge it, he's going to be there in the crease and he's going to be looking at the bench going like, really, you guys don't think he interfered with me at all. Like you guys don't support me. That's interesting. So, point, I, yeah. so I get why, you know, coaches and, and, and uh, the, the uh, video guys challenge some of these sometimes because they probably know that they're not going to win the challenge, but they need to show support for their, for their teammates. Mm, okay. That's interesting. I didn't thought about it that way. So yeah. we got to that. So I'll get into a little bit about uh, your uh, referee career and how many games and some, I usually do kind of quick hit questions, uh, some, some uh, real quick answer ones. So sure. first off um, getting into like, were you always kind of a hockey fan growing up, growing up? You obviously you're born in Canada. So Hampton, New Brunswick. Correct. So, and I, now you reside in St. Louis. So that's a, uh, big uh, change there from from Canada down here. Yeah, it's um, a long ways away. Yeah. So um obviously hockey big growing up obviously. Yeah, I grew up in a uh a small town in Canada, 12 11 1200 people. We had one rink and every all, you know, we all the all the back then girls hockey wasn't really prevalent back then. You know, we're talking in the early 70s and 
and uh um so everybody played hockey you know mm -hmm. it was a canadian thing to do we all played and I, and so how i started officiating i was working at the golf course in the summertime i was 13 years old and i was caddying and cleaning clubs and so on and then when the winter time rolled around i missed having the spending money and mom and dad were like, hey, you're at the rink all the time, you know, every day. Why don't you start roughing the little kids, the eight U's and six U's, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got into it. I just did it as a teenager to to earn extra money. And, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money as a family. And so it was a way for me to have have, you know, pocket money. And and I, I got into it and I kept doing it up through college. And and when I I got into the banking business after uh school and and kept doing it and then it was it was ironic because the company that i worked for it was a bank and they transferred me to toronto and then that was in 1995 and then that's when things really took off for me because now i got in then i got into the ohl and you know they still to this day but back then they they scout referees like they scout players and they would come out and I wouldn't know they were there, the NHL scouts, and they would they would come to a game and see what I was like as a ref and whether they thought I was any good. So, yeah, is there a, isn't there like a a camp that you can attend? Is that that still a thing? Because I know of a mm -hmm. St. Louis ref, one of from one of my friends growing up, his brother I believe is still ref. I think he does college hockey. Probably Joe Sullivan does a lot. Oh of yeah, 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 Joe. Yeah, yeah, so yeah Joe. Joe Joe's a good friend of mine. Joe, I have a referee school here in June and Joe is my, one of my, he's probably my number one instructor. He, uh, mm -hmm. he's phenomenal. And, and yeah, cause I think from what I remember, I believe he went to, there was like a, wasn't there like a, like a school you can attend because he played yeah, for like a and then yeah. Yeah, like a college basically. Yeah. yeah. Now it's called a combine. They have it in August in Buffalo and they invite referees and ex players and so on. But Joe, uh, Joe worked in the American League trying to make it. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, he didn't. And then he's gone on to have uh, a fantastic career career mm -hmm. doing college hockey and D1 and one of the most respected amateur refs around. And, and yeah, I love the guy. He's not only a great ref, he's a great person. He yes, does for a sure. Job at my camp. For sure. So when you, after you got an OHL and you worked your way up to OHL games, uh, working your way through juniors, and then you finally make it to NHL. Do you remember your first game? Yeah, it was uh, 1999, October. Uh, Let's see, I got in front of me. I want to see if you can remember. October 21st. There you go. Yeah, that's a picture right there. there it, uh, it was in uh, Ottawa, Colorado, and Ottawa. And yeah, it was a huge thrill. You know, a kid growing up in Canada in a small town of 1,100 people, obviously growing up uh, – you know, watching hockey night in Canada every Saturday night. Back then, we didn't have games on Mondays and Tuesdays. We didn't have the NHL package. It was one night a week, and it was hockey night in Canada. And, uh, you know, I always, you know, I played a tremendous amount of uh, pond hockey where I grew up. We had ponds all over the place and lakes, and, and we played outdoors all winter. And uh, and so, you know, many times playing those games and and pretending like I had scored the goal to win a Stanley cup. And, and then when I realized that obviously I wasn't good enough to make the NHL, I, I changed my focus to refereeing and, and back, even back then, I, 
had no idea that I would make it, but I'm like, you know what? I, I enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. it's something that I can do for a living. And I was fortunate enough that it all worked out. So, uh, so throughout your career and you've had a lot of over a thousand NHL games, over almost 1400 games total, mm-hmm. um, almost a hundred playoff games total. And you got to do some really awesome ones too. You got, the, you have one all-star game in 2012 from what I see here. You got to do the Bush Stadium game, which is great. I think being in being in St. Louis, I think, is an awesome thing. Uh, you also got to do the Wrigley Field game, which I think is another was, fun one. Yeah, that was 2009, Chicago and Detroit. That was that was you know that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you ever have a favorite building to go into uh, when you're NHL ref? Is there a building you always look forward to going in, maybe for atmosphere reasons or just a fun rink to be at? Yeah. Um, you know, I loved, I loved working at Madison square garden. It was one of my favorite places to work. Uh, you know, one of the most iconic buildings in the world. And, uh, and I loved working in Montreal, you know, just that there's such knowledgeable hockey fans. And, you know, I remember when I, when Mario Lemieux was in the league and when Mario was playing for Pittsburgh and he'd be in town and it would be a Thursday night or a Saturday night, it didn't matter when, you know, Mario grew up in Quebec and, you know, was that great French player that people just looked up to. And and when Mario would come to town, you could feel the energy and the buzz, not at the building. That, that definitely was the case, but you could feel it during the city, in the city that day, wherever you walked, people, people, they couldn't wait to see Mario Lemieux. And, and uh, you know, I loved all the buildings. I, you know, I loved working here in front of family and friends, but probably Montreal and New York were my two favorites. Mm, cool. Um, through all your games, I know they always change up kind of refereeing partners, obviously, but did you ever have a favorite person? Like when they went to the two referee crew, then you have a favorite uh, referee, the, like your, you know, maybe a couple that you like to referee with that you got along with and you felt like you guys kind of like, uh, we were able to call like a really good game together. Yeah, no, that's a good question. And, and uh, you know, you know, the famous ref, Wes McCauley, he's mm-hmm. one of my closest friends and he's just a great guy to work games with. And then Kelly Sutherland, who's another, you know, I, we came up together uh, through the American league and, and into the NHL together. And he's a tremendous ref. And then Chris Rooney, uh, good referees actually uh, working the blues game here tomorrow. Talked to him today when he, when he flew into town and, you know, but those would probably be my top three guys that mm-hmm. I enjoyed working with the most. I was going to ask, ask you this because um, obviously with the advent of social media is gotten more eyes of like on referees, like yourself, obviously took some uh, slack back in the day with your uh, infamous picture with uh, Greg Wyshynski at the bar. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, and then, but also I think that also got fans more aware of who you were. So yeah, like when you were sure. calling a game, like, you know, like obviously do you think it's good for refs to be kind of like Wes McCauley, like you have it now, like when, yeah, obviously when he does the fighting thing, when he calls mm-hmm. fighting, you know, he does, makes a, you know, it does the thing, which is funny and it's great. I think it's a lot nice. Do you, is it nice for, is it good for the refs to be able to showcase kind of like a personality a little bit like that? Or do you kind of think it's nice for them to kind of blend into the background of the game? Yeah. You know what? You're, you're right on both points, really. Um, you know, 
it was funny because I was on TSM today in Canada and they asked me about Wes and, you know, you saw his call earlier mm-hmm. on the week in Detroit and, and uh, Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond, you could hear them go, that is awesome. Way to go, Wes. That's awesome. Like mm-hmm. even the announcers got excited. Yeah. About it. And there's only a few guys that can do that. Not quite honestly on our staff right now. There's only one guy that can do it, and that's Wes. Mm-hmm. He just has this personality that it just becomes natural to him. And he, and if you know, if you knew him as a person, that's kind of the way he is off the ice, and he's always joking and laughing and having fun. But it does tie into what you said about just blending into the background too, because other than that call that night with Wes you probably didn't even notice him on the ice, Mm -hmm. you know? So he doesn't try to make himself the show. He has fun with that fighting, you know, or or, uh, when he makes an announcement on on whether a goal has been a good goal or non uh, uh, called off because Mm -hmm. of a challenge. Um, But other than that, he just kind of blends in. Some nights you wouldn't even know that he was there. So there's a fine line to, you don't want to, you're not the show, you know, the players are the show. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the fans pay to see. They pay to see the players. They don't pay to see the refs. And some of the best ref games that I ever had was when the, when the fans didn't even know who ref the game. And that's mm-hmm. what you wanted most of the, most of the time. I remember, you know, years ago, I was working at game seven in Madison Square Garden between the Rangers and Philly and my partner, Chris Rooney, and I, we called one penalty the entire night. And it was kind of back when you could call, get away with not calling a lot. And I guarantee you the fans weren't talking about us after the game. Mm-hmm. So as a ref, you just kind of want to blend in, not be the show. And uh, at the end of the day, we're not the show. But there's only one Wes McCauley, and he's mm-hmm. tremendous at, at how he does it. You know, Yeah, he does. And that was a really great – I think it's – I enjoy it, and I kind of think that's a, it's nice to kind of see a personality from yeah, guys like that every once in a while. So, uh, since obviously the, you're in St. Louis and uh, you get to like kind of be being retired now, be kind of like you see stuff from a fan perspective along with your like extensive knowledge uh, and experience throughout the years. Uh, since we're a Blues podcast, we'll talk about the Blues a little bit here. Right. So, absolutely. So. So far this year, the Blues have gone through a lot. So they've had now 20 guys through COVID protocol, uh, a, couple in, a couple injuries on top of that. The Blues are currently have five guys in COVID protocol. Jake Wallman got out today. Uh, no Tarasenko or Perunovic this time. Uh, Shannon, it looks like Shen, Peron, and Preko have been put in. So a big yes. chunk of the team is once again taken out. So about $25 million worth of salary out the door. Uh, so it looks like uh, Rose and a couple of guys are called up. So far, minus all that stuff, um, how do you think this team has looked this year overall? So if sitting uh, near the top of the Central most of the year, despite everything going on, uh, from your perspective, how has this team looked uh, about yeah. almost halfway through the year? You know what? I, I really think, uh, and I truly mean this, he's a friend of mine, but I would say this if he wasn't as Craig Berube, uh, Mike Van Ryan, Steve Ott, Jimmy Montgomery, their whole coaching staff, you know, as you alluded to, you know, at one point they had Nathan Walker in, they had Brownie in, 
they had uh, um, Dakota jo- jo- or jo- Josh, Joshua, Dakota Joshlin. Mm-hmm. Um, they had four or five guys in that lineup that they never had projected being in that lineup at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and, and I was really like, happy to see Torpachenko. Don't be wrong; it was, he, I think he played very good for when he was up here. But it was 100%. one of those things where if you saw him up here, you knew that Lewis had a lot of injuries. So, hundred percent. And and I think it was good for him and good for the Blues management to see a guy like him that they had drafted. And, and, you know, he's a big guy and they're like, you know what, this kid can play in the NHL. He obviously needs some more time in the American league, but I think it was encouraging. And then when you think about it, like, this is unbelievable. They were down, they played, they were down to their fifth string goalie and they were still winning games. Like that's unheard of. So that's why I give a lot of credit to, to the coaching staff because what the coaching staff does is they put a system in place and it's like, it's almost like Bill Belichick where he loses a, you know, Danny Amendolo, a, a Gorkowski, whoever, and he plugs in another guy and says, this is your role on the team. This is what you need to do. And we've got the system in place. And if you play the system, we're, there's a good chance that we're going to put ourselves in a good position to win. And that's what this coaching staff has done. And I give them a tremendous amount of credit because, um, you know, they were decimated with injuries. And like you said, they're 19, 20 guys now with COVID. But I said today on TSN, I said, I said, the only benefit of them having all these cases right now is when they come back, they don't have to get tested for 90 days. Mm -hmm. They don't have to get tested. There's no more testing for 90 days. So I would rather my guys, if I was Doug Armstrong and, and, and Craig Berube, I'd rather my guys be getting COVID in January, February, rather than March and April when the games are really, it's crunch time, trying to get a position in the playoffs. So if it's going to happen, I'm, I'm glad that it's happening now. And they're going to have to weather the storm again. And, and Seattle's in tomorrow night, and that won't be an easy game. They play, you know, they have a lot of pride. They're an expansion team. Should the Blues beat them? Yes. But we've seen Seattle beat the Capitals. We've seen them beat other teams. They, mm-hmm. they're, they're in the NHL for a reason. They've got NHL players. And uh, so it'll be a good test for them tomorrow night. I'm going to go down and watch it. And, and uh but it's a good opportunity, you know, I'm like, I'm really happy for, and you know, because Jeff Brown and I are good friends is, is, is uh, for Logan, because mm-hmm. he got drafted in the first round, a lot of high expectations on him. Things didn't work out in Ottawa for whatever reason, but a lot of things don't work in Ottawa for a reason. They've been very good for a long time. I but saying that I think they're on the right path with mm-hmm. Chuck and Shabbat and and Sutzel, Zitzel, mm-hmm. Sutzel, however you pronounce his name. Yeah. Um, but it was a good opportunity for Logan to come in and go, you know what? I can play in this, I can play in the NHL. And yeah. and you watch the games and you saw him on the power play. His passing's incredible. Uh he's a tremendous his hockey sense, his, his hockey IQ is off the charts. Um, he has worked on his skating, which a lot of people said was uh, like one of his, him, yeah. the weak areas on him. He's worked on that with John Stanbrook, who 
is a good friend of mine who my son works with. I consider him the best uh, skating coach in St. Louis. The Blues hired him to be their skating coach. And he's down in the American League a lot, working with the American League guys. So it's a, you know, Nathan Walker, it's a, it's a good story. Like there's a lot of guys that, you know, whether they make the blues over the next couple of years, they get an opportunity now to play. And for Nathan Walker, maybe the blues don't have them penciled in the next couple of years, or maybe they do. I don't know, but it's an opportunity for him when he plays to play well so that other teams, because there are scouts at every game from Vancouver Canucks to Chicago to LA, every game there's scouts mm-hmm. because they're trying to fill, you know, voids in their lineup. And so it's an opportunity for a guy like him to come in and, and say, you know what, I can play in the NHL. Yeah. So the Blues have done a real good job of finding guys that have been able to get into this plug into, like you said, plug into a system and do it seamlessly. Uh, Logan Brown, I think, is a really good story. I think Jake Wallman was a guy who a lot of Blues mm-hmm. fans had high expectations for a really long time, and it just wasn't, for some reason, getting all together. In the last couple of years, you can see the skating, and the, the he has a really heavy shot as well. I think he's a really good addition to make make that back end a little stronger because uh, that's kind of the – I would say a lot of fans, if you had to pinpoint an issue that the Blues kind of need is that defense might need a little bit more on the left side. Uh, do you see the Blues addressing that in this year? Or do you think that they're going to uh, maybe something to look at in the offseason? No, that's a, that's another good question. You know, it's, uh, you know, like, like not because he's my friend, but I consider Doug Armstrong the best GM in the league. And I'll tell you why. There's a few reasons. Is um, he does not, I think he's the only current GM right now that is not bought out, bought out an NHL contract. Yep. Um, there's a reason, like I loved David Backus. David Backus was the captain, but Army was going to have to pay him for past performance by giving him the five-year deal that he got in Boston. Mm-hmm. And what eventually happened, Boston trades him, Anaheim buys him out of his last year or two years of his deal. Army doesn't sign long-term deals that he knows is going to handcuff the, the franchise. And I loved Petro, but Petro wanted eight years of big money. And so in this case here, you know, he wants to fill that void. You know, Jacob Chikrin's been mentioned a lot throughout the National Hockey League, not just just St. Louis. Yeah. You know, the guy's a stud, young player, but you're going to have to give up a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. people are like, well, trade this guy and this guy and this guy. Well, guess what? I, if I'm Billy Armstrong, I'm going, I want either Thomas or Cairo, a first round pick and somebody else. Cause that's what it's going to take to get a Jacob Chikrin. Yeah. You're not going to get him for a second, third line player. It's just there's Bill Armstrong. He, he tutored under Doug Armstrong. Okay. Yeah. And, and so Bill Armstrong is not going to give the kid away. He's going to get a lot of assets back if he decides to move them. Yeah. And I don't know why you would move him because I, I think he's going to be a tremendous player in this league. Um, ben Chiriot is a good player, played for Winnipeg, Winnipeg plays for Montreal now. Yeah. Um, it, it just depends on what you have to give up. And that's why we saw at the trade deadline last year, Army didn't make any moves because he's like, I am not going to sell the future on a rental player that may or may not happen 
or help us in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is there aren't a lot of trades made in the NHL these days because of the cap and, and the, con- the constraints that these GMs are under with the salary cap. But there have not been many trades over the last two or three years during the season where people go, man, is that guy played awesome for that team. Like it just, yeah, it just doesn't happen a lot. So, you know, ideally, would he like to get a defenseman? I'm sure he would. Every, every GM in the, in the league would like to bolster their, their, their back, back end and make it stronger and, and harder to play against, but it's going to be tough to find those guys. It's just, it's going to, yeah. it's, it's not easy. You know, and I know fans get frustrated, but it's not easy to do. No, it's uh, definitely, especially with uh, Chikrin's case, uh, you said Arizona needs a lot right now. I think it's Arizona, but they just have a lot of pieces they need to fill right now. So if they got a big piece and they can get a bunch of cheap, very good pieces, like you say, Thomas, Cairo makes sense. Perunovich would make sense as well in that case. If you're going to sell the future. Yeah, if I'm Doug Armstrong, I'm not trading any of three of those guys, you know. So uh, for somebody um, like Chikrin, and I don't blame Bill Armstrong for asking that much too, because you're asking for somebody who's a signed for a very good contract, and B, he, obviously this year's not worked out well for him due to Arizona not really being uh, great. But Chikrin was in talks to be in ho- be on Hockey Canada, be on the Canadian team this year. Right. You know, right. so I mean that's that's pretty that's pretty good. I mean, so that's that's something that you're going to. Think about, but I think, uh, like you said, uh, Chariot's probably. I think that's if they get one, that's my pick. That's somebody I think you could. Uh, but that you 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 don't have to give probably it, as much, uh, yeah. Right. And the other thing is, like you know, I think a lot of people expected Perunovic to come in and Hobie Baker winner and to come in and just be lights out and so on. It's not. It's not how it works in the NHL. Like. There, there's not a lot of Kale McCars around. Okay. There's yeah. a reason that, you know, that guy was drafted fourth overall. It, those guys don't happen very often. And certainly at that young age. And I remember a year or two ago, it's not that long ago. People were like, eh, I don't know about Cairo is, you know, geez, I don't know. Is he, well, guess what? He's how old is he now? He's probably 20, 24, 25, 20, 24. Like yeah. It it takes you a couple of years to get around in the league and to play all the teams and, and to feel like you belong in the National Hockey League to have that confidence to do what he's doing now. Two years ago, he would never have had the confidence that mm-hmm. he has to carry the puck like he is now. Yeah. And I watch this kid now and I'm like, this guy is a stud. Like yeah. he is for sure. He's going to be an awesome hockey player, um, you know, Hopefully he doesn't have any injuries and stuff like that, because this kid is a great player. Robert Thomas last year probably didn't have a great year, mm-hmm. but it was 56 games. It's COVID. There was a lot of shit going on last year. Players not being able to get together, hang out together. Um, it was just a different dynamic yeah, to a sure. normal NHL season. Not that it's normal now, but it's much more closer to being normal than what, what it was a year or two ago. And then you watch him this year and you're like, man, oh man, like no, no reason, no wonder these scouts were so high on him. His passing is just incredible. Mm-hmm. And it's been fun to watch. I love, you know, I know him personally, he's such a good kid. 
And I'm just so happy for him because he's just having a tremendous year. Yeah, he's still only 22 years old, which is crazy that's to un- think about. That's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, and the kind of success he's had in his career, he's had a Stanley Cup, he's had a World Junior Championship. Um, so I would not I would not be surprised if we saw uh, him making a Canadian team uh, in the uh, future here with uh, the Olympic or um, or if they bring it back, the World Cup World of Hockey. Cup or, yeah. right. I mean, right. I think the World Cup of Hockey would be a fun thing to bring back. I think that was a fun tournament that they had. So I would yeah. really hope they bring that back. Yeah. And I was disappointed, like a lot of fans probably. And selfishly, I was disappointed because uh, Bronson, my nine-year-old, uh, he plays Central States. He's 2012. And Jamal Mayers and I coached the team together. His son, Crew, plays on the team. And and Jammer and I are having a lot of fun with that. And, you know, him, we were talking the other day at the rink and, and, you know, we're obviously very good friends. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, it really sucks about the Olympics. I go, I don't blame the NHL. I go, mm-hmm. with all the games that are canceled, you just, you, if you take three more weeks off, you're never making those games up. And now we're playing another short season. We're playing yeah. 60 games instead of 82. And mm-hmm. I completely agree with what the NHL had to do, but I said, selfishly, it sucks because I was really looking forward to saying, Hey, Bronson team Canada's playing. Let's go downstairs and watch it. Team yeah. USA's playing. Let's go watch it. Russia's playing. Let's go watch Ovi. Like I was really looking forward to that. And I felt bad for Jordan Bennington. Mm-hmm. Definitely going to make the, the Canadian so hundred percent. And it was going to be him, Mark Andre Fleury, and probably Carey Price. Yeah. Um, if Price, so, you think he would have played? You think he think Price yeah, is going to play? Think so I think, think so. so. But yeah, but Jordan was going to make that team, and O'Reilly was talked about making that team. Mm-hmm. You know, people just don't. They, those GMs do not. There's a reason Patrice Bergeron made the last two or three Olympic teams. It wasn't because he gets two points every game. It was because he won the Selkie Trophy numerous times because he's one of the best defensive forwards in the NHL. And I consider Ryan O'Reilly right up there with, as one of the best defensive forwards in the NHL. And, uh, um, and then, you know, Steven Stamkos, 2014, he's hurt. Didn't make the team. 2018, they don't go. 2022, he's lighting it up. He's going to get me. He's going to make the team. He's going to get his chance to go to the Olympics. And now it's canceled and he'll probably never get a chance to work the Olympics. And then you talk about not to belabor this, your point, but uh, the officials, like I was fortunate enough. I worked the last Olympics that we've ever had, which is hard to believe the 2014 Olympics. And And as an official, it was a tremendous experience, you know, for a kid that grew up in a small town and, you know, I grew up in a trailer park. I didn't have any money. And now I'm, I'm getting pictures by the Olympic flame and I'm reffing in, in, in the Olympics. And I, I was fortunate enough that I got picked to work the bronze medal game between USA and Finland. And, and our officials that are, are missing out on this too. It's, you know, it, it was, a, it was a huge, one of the most memorable experiences that I've ever had in my entire career was working the Olympics. So I feel bad for Army. You know, Doug Armstrong will probably go into the Hockey Hall of Fame uh, one day. And and this would have added to his resume, especially if Team Canada won. You know, gold medal. He was the assistant 
GM when they won the gold medal. He was the assistant to Eiserman uh, in Russia. Uh, Stanley Cup, you know, his resume speaks for itself and he doesn't get to go. And then I talked to John Cooper, you know, when yeah, he was probably going to be, down, yeah, he's probably going to be coach. Bummed out, you know, he's bummed out. He's like, this sucks. And the same day he found out that he got COVID was the same day that, yeah, that oh, yeah, uh, I did read that. Yeah. That he found out about the Olympics and, and I, you know, he's like, I go, how you doing? He goes, shitty. Like it sucks right now. Mm-hmm. You know, because who knows whether he'll be the coach next time around. Yeah. You know, yeah. Cause things four are, years from now, anything can change. Yeah, for sure. Right. Now, uh, the point I was making. So before we rewind to our Kyrie, I was like, don't listen to us. Don't listen to me 18 months ago. Cause I was, I was saying Kyrie was at the point of make or break. Cause I always compared him, not him, but I didn't want him to turn out like, um, oh man, who's my favorite whipping boy? Second rounder, Ty Ratty. Ty Ratty. I was, I was, I, I, I said, please don't try Cause I know blues fans. That's the thing as a blues fans, we, we always do. We pump up our prospects of a lot. That's sure. we, we have a lot of high expectations. And then I remember people talking about Ty Ratty, like, Oh, we can trade. We can trade. Ty Ratty a second round draft. Second, pick? second rounder the same year. Uh, yeah, we second rounder. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, I think it was him and Barbashev that you want to say. I'll have to look how many up. games did he play in the NHL? Jason? Not many. <laughs> that'd Not be many. A, that'd be a quick Google. Not many like, with the Blues, and then I know he went on. I believe he's a, he's lighting up a Swiss league right now. I think I just saw I saw that the other day. He's is in that the Swiss where he league. Is? Yeah, he's in the Swiss league. Yeah. So I mean. And unfortunately, the Blues didn't work out. So, but Cairo, you know, like I said, sometimes it just it clicks for some guys. Sometimes it, for some guys, it clicks when they're 19. Some guys, it clicks when they're 25. So it's just a matter of hopefully you have the patience for it to click, wait for that to click, and it wound up working out for uh, Jordan Cairo this year because uh, obviously we saw him at the Winter Classic kind of yeah. get on the uh, national stage a little bit. So it was nice for him to kind of get, you know, pumped up. And I think, I think it looked like they're trying to, advocate him the nhl was advocating him for like the all-star game so that was kind of cool right based on the one game so if Cairo, obviously the olympics really does suck i get the point of the, why the nhl has to do it they have to make up all these games somehow without getting games going into july um and then giving a short off season for guys so that makes sense um but it does stink for a lot of the players especially the guys who might be in their last chance like i said stamp coast is a really good example about not you know just missing out just by happenstance on one time and then just I'm not going another time. And so a career where two Stanley, two Stanley cups for him. And, you know, so this thing. So, I mean, it's different from, I'm, you know, from winning and nothing against it, nothing winning like a world championship to winning an Olympic gold medal, obviously is two different things. Yeah. So it's what, so he won the world championship, which is nice, I think, but I think obviously that Olympic gold medal is another, on another level, but uh, so, uh, we'll wrap it up with one last of things. Your big prediction for the Blues. Uh, I will just say, where did they finish in the Central? We won't go past that because we don't want to jinx them here. I don't want somebody coming back and saying you jinxed the Blues. So, where do you think the Blues will finish at the end of the season in the Central Division? They'll be right up there. Like, I, I, you know, I watched the Nashville Colorado game last night and I don't think, I don't think Nashville is as good as they are. I really don't. UC Saros has played out of his mind. He's playing amazing. Yes. He's playing amazing. And I, I just don't see them. I, I don't see him sustaining that over 82 games. I could be wrong, 
but I don't think Nashville's as good as the rec as the record. Colorado, tremendously talented team. Um, I question their leadership. I, 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 Landeskog's their leader. McKinnon is supposed to be their leader, but I've been on the ice with him where he yells at his teammates a lot. He yells at his coaches. When he doesn't get a pass, he, he yells. Um, I don't know if he's a good leader. And I like that team. Obviously, that team's a, a powerhouse. But I don't think they're built for the playoffs quite yet. Mm. I don't think they're physical enough. And I think that the Blues can play any style right now. And what I've been most impressed with is the speed of the Blues. Even though they really haven't changed their personnel a lot mm -hmm. uh, this year, they are so much faster. Yeah, the exactly. Like yeah. It's, it's, it's night and day. And that's the system that Barubi has put into place because obviously they they – they haven't changed players. They, they're not that they didn't become better skaters overnight, mm -hmm. but their system's different. And that's, what's enabling them to, to play this quick. And I think they will be right up there. I think about, you know, I, as long as they can stay healthy, I think they can win the central division because for whatever reason, and I still cannot figure it out. They have Minnesota's number and we've seen it, Jason, for the last three or four years, we've seen it in the playoffs um, when Bennington, I forget what year it was. I don't think it was last year. It was a couple of years ago when he went into Minnesota and stole game one there and stood on his head. They just seem to have Minnesota's number. And so I don't see Minnesota. Minnesota's got a very good team. They're obviously going to make the playoffs. And, uh, but I see, I see the blues being, you know, number one, number two in the central. Yeah. So they're up. Still up there right now, so I think like you said just keep keep pushing forward. I think the central division is the toughest division in hockey right now, in my I opinion. Uh, they have, I, I think, I think they have, I think four of the top six uh, by points percentage in the league or from the central. So that just tells you how right. great the central is. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this year. So we'll uh, we'll kind of wrap it up there. And before we get out of here. Um, if people wanted to find you on, uh, let's say, on the social media on Twitter, where would uh, where would they find you at? What's your uh, handle? Uh, they'd find me at Tim C. Peel. Okay. I'm on Twitter at Tim C. Peel. Uh, I'm on the Daily Faceoff uh, once, twice a week with Frank Cervelli. And, uh, and then Jim Allmayers and I and Andy Strickland, we have a radio show here in St. Louis on the Fan 590 on Tuesdays from 2, and, 2 to 3 p.m., Tuesday afternoons called Hot Mike. Give it a listen. We have a lot of fun talking hockey with Strick and Jamal. Awesome. So yeah. So uh, well, thank you for coming on, and uh, hopefully we get to see you around the rink sometime. Appreciate it, Jason. Thanks for having me. Thank you.